I'll be reading from John chapter 17. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you are the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you, for I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. Starting verse 20. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you love me. Father, I desire that they may also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me, because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known, that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. This is the word of the Lord. With God's word open before us, let's now seek the Lord in prayer. Let's seek his help. Father, here we are on this Sunday in 2023. Some of us toward the older end of our lives, some of us to the very younger end. And yet, Lord, we thank you. Your word has something to say to us, has a glorious picture of who you are and what you've done for us in Jesus Christ to paint for us today. And we ask you now that you will send your Holy Spirit and that, Father, in the power of your Spirit, you will speak to us for time and for eternity. You will speak to us in a way that shapes, yea, transforms our lives. And so, Father, we ask you now that you will work in every heart here and work for eternity, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. 
Well, John chapter 17 is an incredibly important chapter in the New Testament. And the opening verses themselves are especially striking. So let me read those first three verses again for you. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. You see, this is a very significant occasion. As soon as Jesus finishes this prayer, he goes to the Garden of Gethsemane where he is betrayed by Judas and arrested and ultimately sent to his death on the cross. So when he says, Father, the hour has come, it's the hour. In other words, he knows it's his final hour. And this entire chapter is a prayer. It's the longest prayer of Jesus recorded in the Bible, and there's a reason for that. You see, what does Jesus do right before he's crucified? He prays for us. Here he is being our great high priest about to offer the sacrifice, himself as the sacrifice, to offer the sacrifice that will forever cleanse and forgive our sins. And so he intercedes for us on the basis of his spotless life and his shed blood. And, and notice what verse 20 says here in John 17. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. In other words, he's not just praying for the disciples who are hearing him as he prays, but he is praying this for all the believers of all time. So the Bible says Jesus, as our great high priest, ever lives to intercede for us. And so this is why this is such an important occasion. It is because this is our glimpse into what Jesus Christ is even now praying for us and therefore what the Father will do for us. Now, uh, it would be great today if we could go through and look at every petition in John chapter 17 and uh, just trace for ourselves what the Father gives us in answer to the prayers of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I would encourage you to spend time in this chapter. It is well worth just pouring over very slowly and meditating on what Jesus prays in this prayer. But that's not my focus today. I want to turn your attention back to verses 2 and 3. Jesus says, Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him, and this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Do you see what you have here in verse 3 is Jesus actually defining eternal life. Defining for us what that actually is. The eternal life that we have been given if we believe in the Lord Jesus. Once again, this is eternal life. That they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. And by the way, that's the very same language that you find in John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. 
And here the Lord Jesus is actually defining that eternal life. To know the only true God and Jesus Christ whom he has sent. So folks, what this boils down to is this. At the very heart of your salvation is a relationship where you know God and you know Jesus. And as we're going to see in an intimate way, that is the very heart of it. And so that's what I want us to consider today, what I want us to think about for the next few minutes. This incredible relationship and, and what it really means, what it can look like. And so today our theme is relationship above all else. So let's establish the truth of it first. Your salvation is a relationship. You see, one of the things that the devil loves to do to us is to make us think that eternal life that the, the, the eternal life we've received in Jesus is a quantity of life only, rather than a quality of life. Yes, it's an infinite quantity of life, but it's a quality of life first, you see. Because it is knowing him in an amazing two-way relationship. And this is why Jesus said in John 10, in verse 10, I am come that they may have life and have it abundantly. Why? Because it's a quality of life. It's a life in him. And it's also why Jesus emphasized that if you believe in him, you have eternal life now. I mean, it's not just waiting until you're in heaven till you get to the infinite part. No, you have it now. Listen to the words of Jesus in John chapter 5 and verse 24. He says, There truly, truly I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Did you, you see, this has been done. It is already there. It is complete in him. So if you know Jesus, eternal life, abundant life, has already begun in you. You're not just part of a Christian club now. You haven't just punched a ticket for heaven. No, you are in a relationship with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit where they each know you intimately, love you supremely, enough to send Jesus to take your hell uh, for you. That's what he has done. And in addition to that, enough to promise to be to you and to give to you everything you will ever need from now uh, to eternity. But folks, the richest part of all is the relationship. That is the richest part. You see, this difference between quantity of life and quality of life is more crucial than you think. Listen, the devil has much less to fear if your Christianity looks like this. You believe in Jesus. You add a dimension of your life among his people, the church, and so you go to church, you give to the church, you serve the church, and that's usually enough to keep you pretty busy. But apart from that, you just pray God will help you have a good life, whatever your agenda for a good life looks like. But folks, that misses so much. In fact, it misses the essential thing. You see, at the heart of your salvation, God doesn't want your church attendance or your money or your service or anything else you can do. He wants you. He wants you. And what he wants to give you in exchange is himself. Nothing less. His infinite, glorious, astounding self. So you were redeemed to go for that. 
Make that your aim, your aim to know him and to experience and enjoy everything Jesus is for you as the greatest of all gifts. And everything he purchased for you and everything your heavenly father wants you to have and to experience. And folks, if you can only see it, you want his agenda far more than you want yours. It's a glorious agenda. It's an inside out agenda. And it's an agenda for time and eternity that touches everything. That's what you want. And that's what you get in that relationship. So, from what we've looked at, your salvation is a relationship. But now the fun part, what can that look like? And let's answer that question by looking at the relationship first from God's side and then from your side or our side. So let's begin with the relationship from God's side. And I want to start with a question. How do you see your Heavenly Father? How do you see him? Do you know that this is one of the most important things that Jesus came to teach us? How to see the Father. You see, one of the main purposes of the ministry of Jesus was to demonstrate how much the Father loves us, how gracious he is, how intimately connected he is with our welfare. That's one of the things you see as a thread through scripture when the Lord says, my name is at stake in your welfare. And again and again, God's servants pled that. Lord, what are you going to do for your great name? Joshua said. You know, Lord, what are the heathen going to think if this is the case? You know, they appealed to God on the basis of his name because his welfare is intimately connected with our, our welfare. So this is a, an important thing in the ministry of Jesus to demonstrate how much the Father loves us, how gracious he is, how intimately connected with our welfare. Again and again, what did he do? He corrected the misperception of his day and ours that God is somehow a hard-hearted ogre. He corrected that. He showed otherwise. Let me give you just a couple of examples among very, very many if you pay attention as you read the Gospels. Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 to 11. This is such a, a rich passage, and it's one of these, you know, it, it's got language that you and I wouldn't dare to say if God hadn't said it, but he said it. He said it. And, and we can't look at this passage and, and, as if he didn't mean what he said. Folks, he did. And so let's go through these verses, Matthew 7, 7 to 11. Pay good attention to this. He says, ask and it will be given to you. Now, you know, you don't have an asterisk there to where you go down to the bottom and you see all the legal language that tells you except in this case, this case, this case. You know, it's not there. He's not afraid to be absolute when he says this. Ask and it will be given you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. And in case you didn't get that astounding statement, the next verse just doubles it. Because he says, for everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. And then again, what's his theme? It's the, it's the nature, the character of the Father. So he gives an example. He says, or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent? 
If you then being evil, you then who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more, and you're talking about finite versus infinite, infinitely more, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? So the Lord Jesus is saying, you, I, I am daring you to believe that this is who he is, that this is the heart he has, that this is the way he looks at you and hears you when you ask and when you seek and when you knock. Another verse is Luke chapter 12, verse 32. It says there, fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Uh, there is an attribute of God. If we had time, I would go and kind of walk this out for you. But it is an attribute that I think comes into play right here in this particular verse. Because what this verse is saying to us is it's the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. He doesn't do it because in some way he's bound, because he has to in some way. He does it because he wants to. It's his good pleasure, it's his delight to give you the kingdom. And of course, what's he saying to give you everything? Jesus lived and died to give you. But you know, if these verses weren't here to tell us exactly how the Father feels about us, all we would have to do if we wanted proof was to look at the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus suffering on that cross, taking your hell on his head tells you how much you are loved and valued by Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That should have been you, but it was Him, and Him with all His heart. Him on purpose, because it was His good pleasure. Your Heavenly Father is delighted with you. That's what we understand. He wants to, you to know Him infinitely. He wants to spend time with you. He wants to delight in your presence, hear your thoughts, hear your heart. He cares about how you're doing so much that he says, and you know, 365 times, fear not. He says, be anxious for nothing. He says, rejoice in me always. He says, in everything, give thanks. He says, trust me in everything. Why? Because he loves you infinitely. So every day, he wants to connect with you. He wants to meet your need more than you want it met. What he wants is you, a relationship between just you and him. Now, do we believe that? Do you believe that? You know, I mentioned this a few months ago, but I, I want to repeat it because it's just such a striking proof that his love for us is personal, it is individual, it is specific to you alone. And I'm talking about Revelation uh, chapter 2 and verse 17. In Revelation 2 and 3, you have the messages to the seven churches. And each of those messages to the seven churches ends with a, a little section where he says, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And then he says, to the one who conquers or overcomes, in other words, that's how he is describing all true believers, the ones that conquer, the ones that overcome. But to the one who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone with a new name written on the stone that no one knows except the one who receives it. Isn't that amazing? The Lord is going to think up a name for you, put it on a white stone, give it to you personally, and only you and he will know what that name is.
Now that's personal. <laughs> Can you imagine that? And I, and I mean, I, I don't know. I just read this and I imagine that the Lord will craft a name, <laughs> will come up with something that will just encapsulate all the goodness of the Lord in your life from start to finish. You know, that, that's what I imagine. But I mean, it is that personal. But folks, if we don't see him this way, as the good and gracious, loving father that he is, then we won't really seek him out to spend time with him. And we won't really want a relationship. And that will make the devil happy and your heavenly father sad, but most of all, you will be the one to suffer. You will miss out. Jesus came to show you how good he is and how much he loves you. And if you will dare to believe that, then you can invest and lean into that relationship in a way that will transform everything in your heart and as a result, everything in your life. So what about the relationship from your side, from our side? Let's see what that can be. Now, um, having been attacked by the devil many times, <laughs> I can imagine right about now, as you've thought about all these things that God says about how rich his love is towards you, that you might say this, and the devil will whisper this in your ear. Okay, God's done all these great things for me, so now I've got to uphold my end of the bargain. I have to read my Bible every day. I have to pray for everyone every day. I have to be faithful to church. I have to tithe and give faithfully. I have to keep from sinning. I have to witness to everyone I meet. I have to, I have to, I have to. Are you exhausted yet? You know? Are you discouraged with failures and with little progress? Well, that's exactly what the devil wants. That's how he wants you to respond to that love. But I want you to consider with me some, some really striking words of the Lord Jesus Christ earlier in John's gospel. Chapter 6, John chapter 6, verses 28 and 29. They came to the Lord Jesus, okay, and they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Now that's a great question, right? Lord, just tell us. You know, and have you ever thought this way? You know, Lord, could you just boil it down to exactly what it is you want me to do? You know, I, I want to know it in specifics. Could you maybe bullet point it, you know, and, and give it to me in that fashion? And so what must, what must we do to be doing the works of God? But notice how Jesus answers. This is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. You believe in him. Jesus says your salvation is not about your performance. It's about his. He is saying that he wants you to believe and receive what he did for he knows that if you do that, your life won't stay the same. It will be transformed. It will change if you do that. You will be in a relationship that will indeed transform everything. Jesus says, I don't need and I don't want what you can do for me. I want you. Give me your heart in a living relationship and everything else will follow beautifully. Everything else will come into place. You know, the Lord says this in another place as well. And that's Mark chapter 10 and verse 45. 
For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Do you hear what that's saying? The Lord says, I did not come. Now he could have, right? He's God. He could have. But he says, I did not come for what you could do for me, but what I could do for you. That's what I came for. And what do I want out of you is not performance, it's belief, it's rest, it's trust. That is what is, is before us. So what is your side supposed to look like in this relationship? Well, it's one where every day you say, Jesus, you live for me and you died for me. You love me that much. You cleansed me from all my sin and I'm totally forgiven. You are all my righteousness and you are all my deserving in this relationship. And you go on and you say, and you tell me that so complete is your love for me that I have nothing to worry about, nothing to fear, nothing I will ever face without you, and that I can call on you for everything I will ever need at any second of any day and you will hear me and grant me the peace that passes understanding to guard my heart and mind. And folks, I could go on, but so can you. So can you, because that eternal life in you is to know Him. It's to begin to take in this infinitely glorious, loving, gracious, all-powerful, all-wise being to begin to transform you from inside out so you can learn more and more of His love and of His goodness every day. So what does that begin to look like? Well, for one thing, now you read your Bible not to check off your Christian duty or to earn his blessing or to earn his answer to your prayers, but you read it to meet him there. You read it to find him there, to learn more of how good and how gracious he is and, and more of what he's promised to do in you and for you. And he's infinite, so you will never run out of things to thrill you. That will never happen. And now you, you pray differently. You don't pray now to check off a Christian duty again or somehow to earn what you need from him. No, you pray because spending time with him is glorious. It's comforting. It's encouraging. It's healing. Especially as he speaks to your heart and calms every fear and replaces it with a spirit of power and of love and of a sound mind. And the results of your prayer is the growing confidence that he's so good, there's no way in the world you'll be ignored. That's never going to happen. He's so good, he tells you he knows what you need before you ask him in order to say to you, when you ask, he absolutely, be absolutely assured that help is on the way. It's in his court now. That issue can never be the same. It's before him. You have brought it to him. You have, in a sense, put into effect every word of promise this Bible holds regarding prayer. And there's a whole ton of them. You have put that into effect. And as it were, God is on the job. And your prayers themselves will change. Because rather than pleading and begging and thinking you have to say it just the right way and somehow earn a favorable answer, now you know how good and how powerful and wise and loving he is. And you just cast that care on his shoulders and begin praising and rejoicing that the best answer, the wisest, most loving answer is on the way in his own perfect time. 
And that perfect time thing, uh, it frustrates us, doesn't it? You know, it's, you know if, if I prayed now and I got the, the answer within an hour, it would all be good. But folks, we miss out the fact that he's transforming us. He's changing us. He's working in us. These things that come into our lives are to enrich that relationship, enrich that trust. I mentioned this some months back, but I feel like this is where we want to go. We want to go where we have the comfort and encouragement and assurance of his goodness before the deliverance comes, before we see the answer to prayer. Why? Because it's now we see it with him in view. We're not watching the waves as Peter did. We're watching the master. And we rejoice that he is well in control and that he is doing us absolute good. And folks, on and on we could go. Everything in life is liberated when it flows out of a loving relationship with your Savior, your gracious Father, and your personal comfort. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. That's what the Lord Jesus said from inside out. But now you may say this. Well, it sounds wonderful, but you don't know me. I mess up a lot. Well, join the club, you know? Which of us doesn't? But do you really think that stops the love of God for you? Jesus looked that full in the face when he died for you. Folks, there will never be a day from now till, till you leave the earth where you don't sin and mess up. But that's why 1 John chapter 1 and verse 7 is written to mean this. The blood of Jesus Christ, his son, is constantly cleansing us from all sin. That's a powerful word, constantly cleansing us from all sin. So don't keep letting your sin mar the love and the joy and the communion of the relationship. Jesus says, I paid for that, so don't treat me like I'm a failure and a liar. I love you, but you can't enjoy me. And I can't enjoy you if you can't forgive yourself for your sin which I already paid for. And you also won't overcome it until you begin to believe in my love for you. God says this in his word and he means it. If we confess our sins, 1 John 1, 9, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The God who cannot lie says he forgives your sin. So we are to believe it, Thank him for it, worship him for it, and then enjoy him again. Believe him enough to let the relationship go on without us feeling like we have to do four or five days or a week of penance of some kind. No, that's not the truth, and that's not faith in who he is and what he said. But now maybe you say, well, you don't know my life. All the things that I'm facing, all the things that I'm going through, all the chaos in my life. But once again, do you really think your circumstances and your situation are bigger than his love that sent Jesus to the cross? Folks, far too easily we forget who he is and how much he loves us. Who is he? Just the creator and sustainer of the universe who's in control of everything and who asks, is there anything too hard for me? And there's only one possible answer. Absolutely not. Nothing too hard for him. How much does he love you? Infinitely. Again, look at the cross. Look at him dying for you there. 
Look at your sins on his head and him with all of the heart of love dying for those sins. You know, our emotions are a good gauge of whether we're really believing his love. If I'm anxious, worried, frustrated, depressed, I know I'm forgetting his love. I'm thinking there's a gap in his love. He's forgotten me and what I'm going through. Well, there was an occasion where Israel thought the same thing, said the same thing. Isaiah chapter 49, verses 14 to 16. I want you to listen to how they, what they said before the Lord. But Zion said, the Lord has forsaken me. My Lord has forgotten me. And here's the Lord's answer. Can a woman forget her nursing child that she should have no compassion on the son of, a son of her womb? Even these, in some rare far off case, even these may forget, yet I will not forget you. The God who cannot lie says, I will not forget you. And then he uses a couple of very graphic images. He says, behold, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. What an expression. You're engraved in my flesh on the palms of my hands. And where do we see that? The Lord Jesus appearing before his disciples after he's risen from the dead. And he says, behold, my hands and my feet. See that it is me. See that these scars are still here to tell you of my love. But then it says, your walls are continually before me. So that's a reference to the fact that so many of the cities of the day were walled cities. How's the city doing? Well, are the walls still intact? You know, is, is, are they still secure? Is everything okay? And here the Lord says, the walls of your welfare are in front of me continually. I never stop looking at them. I never stop thinking of you. So he never forgets us. So if you have a negative emotion, fear, anxiety, depression, frustration, confusion, say to yourself, I've forgotten who he is and how much he loves me. And then get before him and work through it. Apply the truth to whatever situation you are facing. Letting his word tell you all over again that you are not forgotten and you are greatly loved. Folks, the bottom line is this. Jesus lived for you and died for you because he wants you. And that's why I say relationship above all else. Because if you dive into that relationship to get to know him in an intimate way, feel his love for you, experience his power in you and for you, everything else in your life will flow from that and it will be put in proper perspective. If your Heavenly Father and your loving Savior are the reality you walk in every day, you will have victory over sin. You will walk in faith and not be crippled with anxiety every time something goes wrong. You will have a heart to share the Jesus you know so well. And you will have a heart to serve in the church. And that relationship will also wonderfully affect all your other relationships as well. You see, Jesus never intended you to do those things merely for him, but with him and through him, experiencing his love and power, enriching and empowering everything you do, everything in your life. Folks, I would encourage you to do this today. Say to your God, Lord, I want you more than anything. I believe nothing in this world can compare to knowing you. You know what the next step is for my life, and I ask you to take me there. 
and you know what's in the way. Overcome it, Lord. I can't, but you can. Here I am, Lord. Make this intimate relationship to flourish as you want it to flourish. Folks, don't make this into a new responsibility. Put something new on your shoulders, make it a new duty. No, instead, please, just show up. Just show up, just ask and listen and trust and rest and watch Him work. Because what you need is Him and what He wants is you. This is not what you have to do, it's what you get to do. There's all the difference in the world in that. Not what you have to do, it's what you get to do. He doesn't want your journey with him to be a chore. He wants it to be the greatest joy you could possibly have. And as he promises, if you draw near to him, he will draw near to you. If you seek him, he will be found of you. Amen. Let's bow in prayer. <clears throat>